So um, we are currently in a series called Pray This Way, uh, but since this was the last hurrah, um, I'm going to be here a couple more weeks, but the last time I get to speak in front of you, John said, you know, speak on anything you want. And I was thinking, I was like, it's about time. Uh, and so uh, be warned. Uh, no, um, it's actually quite challenging, to be honest with you, when uh, you have to speak and it's not some sort of plan or series because it's like, it's a one and done. And so I either say something really profound or I lose you guys and you're falling asleep. And so I'm, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm going, okay, like God, like, what should I say? Like, this is the last one and I'm probably building it up too much. Right. And I'm going like, this is the last thing I get to say. And, and so I'm thinking of what are some things that I would like to communicate? Um, and so the first one uh, that kind of came to mind is, is how we treat one another. And that I should speak on, you know, the Bible's call to love one another and, and love at sacrificial levels. So I'm going, there's a lot to work with there, and I'm praying about that, and it's just like, no, that's not it. So then I'm thinking some more, and I'm like, okay, it's unity. I really enjoy our church, especially staff and elders, the unified vision. I should speak on unity to the church body, uh, that Paul, uh, in all his letters in the New Testament, right, what does he always say to churches? Be unified, be unified, unity, unity, unity. That one can preach. And I'm like, no, that's not it. Then I go, okay, it's got to be then with the kids. Uh, I've worked with students. That's how everybody knows me. Uh, I need to talk about how we should empower um, and, and, and teach our, our students and our kids and, and how they are the church and, and what you can do to impact life. And then I still was like, boy, that's not it. So then I'm sitting there going like, I, what am I going to talk on? So then I get out my old computer and I go, let me pull up some old sermons. And here's what I figured. Half of you are new, so you, if I reuse something, you don't know. The other half probably wasn't paying attention. And so I figured I'm good either way. So I pull up old sermons, and I find uh, the first sermon I ever gave. And I'm like, oh. So I start to read it. The problem is it was terrible. <laughs> like, I'm like, this, they let me say this? Um, but the premise of it, and a lot of it, uh, I went, man, like that really hits home for where I am at personally, and maybe we are at a church collectively, um, because the sermon was, the, the essence of the sermon was hope during seasons of change. I went, huh, maybe God's saying something. Um, and the first that is the kind of the first thing that I led with uh, a decade ago was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And a lot of you know this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Another way of saying that is he will direct your paths. That sermon I went on to speak about a guy in the Bible named Habakkuk. And so, reading that, I wanted to tell you the story of Habakkuk again um, and remind you of the truth and the power that is in his very short book. Habakkuk is a prophet uh, in the Old Testament. And if you hear sometimes, especially in the New Testament, 
Jesus or, or other teachers sometimes refer to the Old Testament as the law and the prophets. Maybe some of you heard that, right? And the law essentially was books that were written to teach us on how we should live. And the prophets then uh, were books that men wrote as the mouthpiece for God. And so the prophets, there's roughly, there's 17 books that are considered the prophets. Five are major prophets. Those are guys like Jeremiah and Isaiah. It's just basically they had a lot to say. And then there's the minor prophets, and there's 12 of those, and they had like less things to say, or I like to think they're just more concise. It's kind of the difference between when John speaks on a Sunday morning <laughs> and when I speak on a Sunday morning. A little more concise. Um, See, I'm just going to rib them all day. Uh, this is great. Um, and so Habakkuk um, is, is this prophet. He's a contemporary of Jeremiah, if you know maybe more about him. Um, and let me tell you what's going on in Israel when he wrote this now book. Um, Israel is in turmoil. Uh, they are warring with each other. They actually have split the kingdom, the promised land, right, that Moses brings all and Joshua brings all the people of Israel to, and they get the land flowing with milk and honey, right, and, and they've driven out, well, most of the people, uh, and they have this land, but now there was kings that come into play, and soon half the kingdom is saying, he's our king, and the other half of the kingdom is saying, he's not our king, this is our king, and so there's this War, this is almost civil war going on between now what is supposed to be the united uh, people of God, right? There's also all sorts of violence and injustice and idolatry going on. Their people are not worshiping God. They're not following the law. And so Habakkuk is sitting there watching what has happened. And in fact, he's a little different than some of the other prophets who speak to the people he is actually recorded as it's a conversation between him and God. And so in his three chapters, his first one is him laying out his problems. What are you doing? God, like, look at your people. They're a mess. There's injustice. There's violence. There's corruption. There's idolatry. I thought you were a God of justice. Like, where's your justice? Have you ever had this conversation with God where you're asking him what is going on? I think I ask that question mostly um, during times of, of sometimes pain, uh, sometimes turmoil, and definitely in change, right? In change when things are maybe not going to plan or not going to my plan. And I start asking God, what are you doing? Right? Don't you, don't you see this? Don't you see what's happening? Won't you do something? Many of you, I know your stories. I know you've asked God that before, right? That in times when it's hard to see God's work, we're going, hey, aren't you going to do something? Right? I thought you were a good God. You need to work in this situation. A decade ago, uh, when I came, um, there was a guy named Tim Meyer who was the youth pastor before me. Uh, Tim had come on after a time of really youth ministry kind of tanking a little bit. It was down to just a couple kids. And he came in and he built the group back up. And, and he was loved, loved, loved. 
Um, and so I, he knew he was leaving. He was going to the mission field. And so he brought me on during my senior year in college as Steve the intern. And so I worked for Tim, knowing that it was kind of like a, a, an extended job interview. And so Tim was going to get ready to leave. And so I had been hired to take over for when he left. And they threw Tim this big party, right? Just like they're throwing me that maybe you should come to on the 5th. That was a shameless plug. Uh, just, so they have this big party. And I get invited because, like, I had been friends with him for, like, the last seven months. And so I was like, sure, like, I'll come to his party. Not really thinking of what was going to happen there, because what happened there, because Tim did a great job, God worked through him. You had people stand up saying how great he was, and there was a video made of, like, memories and him leaving, and people are crying, and I'm sitting there like, I should not have come to this, right? <laughs> like, I got to take over for this guy? And it's funny now, but... It was terrible. And, and that night kind of ended, and he was leaving, and I had, was getting his office up at Grace House, our, our house up here. So I walk up the path that night, and I go and I sit in his chair, and his, like, he didn't clean out his desk or nothing, right? I'm literally just, like, taking over. And I can remember going, God, what are you doing? This, like, I am unable and unequipped to handle this. Right? Like, look at what this guy's done. I can't match that. I remember sitting there, I'm like sobbing, you know, 9 30, 10 o'clock at night in my office, going, I can't do this. God, this, this, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? And so, why I wouldn't recommend doing this, at least not very often, the Bible's sitting in front of me. So, I'm like, all right, God, like, I need a word. So, I. Make sure you at least go to the middle because you go too early in the beginning. You hit the laws and that can get you all sorts of confused. Um, and so I open the Bible up and I, you know, kind of like, this is it. And I hit Psalms 34. Um, and, and Psalms 34 talks all about trusting in God as our hope. That God would not abandon, the psalmist was David writing, that he would not be abandoned. That God was good. It's the verse some of you know, taste and see that the Lord is good, comes out of Psalms 34. But the verse that stood out to me, the one that kind of I highlighted, was Psalms 34.4. It says this, I sought the Lord and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. And I had so much fear of the change. And it was good change, but it was unknown. And the fear of the unknown, right, is, is great. And I remember sitting there feeling like that was a word for me. In a time of change that I don't have to be afraid. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. It's a verse that I've scribbled on numerous pieces of paper. I've shoved it in things when I need to remember. I put it in my wallet. Uh, I'd write it on papers and, and tape it to the wall um, because of what it meant to me. That I was asking God, what are you doing? And he responded with, you know, I'm doing something. Don't, don't worry. You don't have to fear. Circle back to Habakkuk. Habakkuk is asking God, hey, what are you doing? 
there's injustice, there's idolatry, there's evil. Who is going to judge these people? Justice needs to be, to be had. And so God then replies, and it's this back and forth dialogue. It's kind of like maybe you get in an argument with your spouse and you start saying a whole bunch of things and then they're like, whoa, 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 let me respond. Right? Have you ever had those? And so this is kind of God. He goes, okay, let me respond to your accusation. You know, you're saying, what are you doing? I'm going to answer you. And here's what I'm going to do. And he goes on to tell Habakkuk that he's going to take the Babylonian army and use them as a hand of justice over Israel. That he's going to have them come in and take captive. And he, they are going to be justice for the crimes the Israelites had committed. Well, Habakkuk is like, wait, wait, wait. They're even more evil than we are. You're going to use them? Like, they're the worst. Let me ask you the next question. So most of you have probably asked God, hey, what are you doing? Then you ever asked him when he answers you, go, what? Right? Like, no, I wanted you to answer that, but not in that way. That's not the answer I was looking for, right? I wanted something else. God comes to Habakkuk and he said, I'm going to do what you ask. And I'm going to do it through these people. And Habakkuk is like floored. He can't understand what God's doing he can't understand why he would ever use these evil people that, that they are terrible. Let me give you another story from about seven months ago. Uh, some of you know Melissa and I were looking to buy a home. Uh, we had been renting for a long time uh, and feeling like we wanted to pay our taxes to New Jersey uh, and, and get a house um, and so we started searching for our house and, you know, we had kind of some limitations on budget and, and where we wanted to go. I didn't want to go too far from the church. And, and so we found this, this house in Roxbury that we really wanted. It was one, the, like the first house we walked through. And I'm like, this is it. Like, this is awesome. God is, is, is answering prayers. Like we wanted a house and he's provided everything we asked for in the area that we wanted to be in. And so we submitted an offer, and sure enough, they accepted. And I'm like, this is awesome, right? We bought a house. Well, some of you may chuckle that have bought houses before. That's not quite buying a house. And, and so we need to get an inspection done. And I'm like, oh, no problem, right? So we get an inspector, and we had now looked at the house about four times. It's the first house we went to, and I'm like, it can't be this easy, can it? So we went back, went back, and every time I'm like, this is it, this is it, this is it. So we get to the house and the inspector starts looking around and we go into the basement. There's like a foot of water in the basement. I'm like, this wasn't here last time. <laughs> like, I didn't know I was getting a pool. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's a ton of water. And so the inspector starts looking and finding some issues with the foundation. And I'm like, holy smokes. And so we go back to the cellars and we start negotiating, right, that whole thing. And at the end of the day, they were like, we're done with you. We don't want to give you what you're asking for. And we essentially didn't get the house. So Melissa and I are sitting there kind of devastated, right? We had been in the process now for a while with the banks and everything else. And I'm like, well, like, I don't know why God is answering this now with a no, because this isn't the plan. But a couple weeks goes by and we find another house that's even better, right? And I'm going... God, I see what you were doing, right? Like, 
you are saving us. Like, this is the house. And it just got put on the market. And so I was so confident this was the house. You know, go in at listing, get the house. So we did that. We start to get into attorney review. And someone comes in and gives a cash offer that they could not refuse. And that house goes away. And so Melissa and I are sitting there like, first we were asking God, like, you know, for a house. And then we feel like he's answering it. And now it's getting pulled away. And we're left there like Habakkuk is going, what are you doing? This is not the answer I'm looking for. And it felt like doors were just being shut, shut, shut when they should have been open. Now, in hindsight, looking back at that, I'm like, God isn't shutting doors. He's making a path right? He's clearing this easy transition for us as we move that we didn't own a home. Uh, and there was several other things along the way that, he, that we felt like he was saying no to, but it, in his sovereignty, right? He was going, no, I'm clearing a path for you to go where I'm calling you to go. Habakkuk comes to this conclusion in chapter 3. After um, after all of this, he's going, no, you know, God still has a plan. In fact, it's what, before we get into that, it's what's written about over and over in Scripture is about how God makes a plan for his people. Let me give you some reminders. These are like children's stories, right? Was it Noah's plan to build the ark? Was it Abraham's plan to sacrifice his son? Was it Joseph's plan to get sold into slavery? Was it Joshua's plan to march around Jericho? Was it Moses' plan to split the Red Sea? Those were all God's plans. Was it the disciples' plan to have their Messiah, Jesus, crucified and buried? It's never their plans, but it was always God's plan. And Scripture reminds us of that over and over, that God is in control. In Hebrews uh, 10, 23, it says this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The hope that we're confessing is that God knows what he's doing. He's got a plan. This isn't curveballs being thrown him. He knows what's happening. And for, for me in a season of change, maybe for you in seasons of change, maybe for some of you I've talked to, you know, there's change at the church and, and that's hard for you and for your family and your kids. But we can look through what God has shown us through history that he has a plan. That he has a plan for good, right? Not for harm. That he works all things together for the good of those who love him. That that's what he's doing. Habakkuk concludes in the very end of chapter 3 with two verses. He lays out, God, what are you doing? God answers. He goes, I can't believe this. And then he goes, there's going to be a lot of pain. And it's going to be hard. And, and at one point he starts saying, like, I see what's going to happen. And, and I necessarily don't like it. But here's the conclusion that he says. After laying all that out, he says in Habakkuk 3, 18 and 19, Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. 
The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Habakkuk puts his hope in God and says, I don't know what you're doing, or maybe I don't agree with it. I don't like it, but I know you're sovereign, and I can rejoice because of that. See, sometimes we say things like, I hope I win the lottery. And what's bad about that is it, it, when we then read about hope in the Bible, we think of it as like luck. Like, win the lottery is just dumb luck. But that's never how hope is referred to in Scripture. In fact, one writer puts it this way. He said, biblical hope is an expectation that God will. Another one said this, and this is my favorite. Biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. Biblical hope is not only desiring something good for the future, but it's an expectancy or it expects it to happen. So if the band, if you guys want to come up, uh, I'm going to close kind of with this, which is uh, unique and it feels good for me in that the same thing that I said in the beginning of my time here is something that I'm going to tell you again and something that I've told many of your students and children uh, for the last decade is put your hope in God. He is the creator, right? He is the author of our stories. Uh, He is not abandoning us. He's not leaving us. The plans that he has looks like curveballs and changes for us and they are right in his path for him. He knows what's happening and is in control. We can trust him that even when there's change or pain or loss or hurt, that God can work it out. Let me read read you this because I want to make sure I get it right. Put your faith and hope in God. He does not fail. He knows what he's doing. Despite change to our plans, God is sovereign and in control. He is never saying, wow, I didn't see that coming. He is faithful. Have faith that he can save you and hope and assurance that he will save you. Have faith that God can transform you, your family, your kids, and hope and assurance that God will transform you. Faith that God works all things for good of those who love him and hope and assurance that God will work all things for the good of those who love him. And so we're going to sing, kind of just like Habakkuk did, that we're going to rejoice in the great name and the mighty name of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.